All right, fun stuff, episode seven. I didn't think we'd make it to seven, to be honest. I thought I'd do like two or three and then uh, forget about it. But anyways, uh, I'm talking today with Stephen Ullman. Uh, he is the founder of several ventures, and we get into what he calls sweaty businesses. Uh, please enjoy my conversation with Stephen Ullman. Well, thanks for hopping on, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's great. It's good to meet you. Likewise. Uh, so I just, you know, these conversations are just super, like, pretty chill. I wouldn't even call it a podcast or an interview really, but you're doing interesting shit. Would love to connect and chat, see what you're up to. Um, and that's really about it. So maybe we could just start from the top and just like run me through who you are, what you've got going on. I saw something crazy on Twitter that you said you want to build 50 products, which like, man, as I get further down into like the buy it instead of build it, you know, as step one, like yeah. the idea of building 50 things from scratch just sounds like more and more crazy to me as every day goes by. <laughs> um, well, maybe I can help clarify that. So it'll sound slightly less crazy about that. Cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, super quick background, spent a couple of years in consulting and then uh, shifted over to head of sales at a software company that was doing real-time analytics on like healthcare data. And um, that company ended up getting acquired and I went out on my own uh, about four years ago. And I have always kind of wanted to try to build multiple businesses. My dad was involved in three different things uh, when I was growing up. And so I just had this mentality, kind of like a, a different version of diversification, I suppose. And I thought, yeah, I'd really like to diversify through different businesses. A lot of people, like the thing that's probably the most common way to making significant like wealth for yourself, generate significant wealth for yourself is to focus on one thing for a really long time. And I guess I'm focused on building lots of things for a really long time <laughs> and we'll see how that goes. But um, the way that works practically is I have a lot of really great business partners. And um, as I've kind of matured through that, there's a couple of companies that I'm still more operational in than the rest. But with each new business now, I really set the expectation that I won't be operational at all. And I'm really more of a guide. I, I have a set of vendors across a lot of different um, services that I can kind of manage and oversee and let you know partners or a partner really run the core service of the business and let them really excel what they're best at. And so that's kind of where I'm headed, doing more and more and more of that inside of several, um, because it allows me to scale myself pretty effectively. Um, so that's the that's it. And then I guess to round that out is it's not all SaaS. There's, there's some software, digital services. There's a couple more like agency S businesses. Um, and there's a couple like sweaty SMB type companies. So it's, uh, again, kind of continuing that concept of diversification. It's, uh, it's not all technology. Sweet. What are your, what are your sweaty, uh, what are your sweaty businesses? Yeah. One of them is a dumpster rental company, um, in Houston, Texas. And uh, the other is a small business and residential, but more so focused on, on the commercial side, uh, security company. So access control, video surveillance, that sort of thing. And we're just taking a slightly different spin on it. And um, yeah, so those are those two. My last, uh, my last big, my last company was a, a security and surveillance uh, company. Uh, tough market, man. Tough market to sell. I think uh, I agree. Um, one of the partners in that business is like expert, was in it for several years, and 
uh, yeah, just some strategic advantage. That's actually something I kind of look for is like, what's the advantage? I don't want to just, I don't know, what's a random example. I don't want to start like an email marketing company, you know, just cause. Like, I have one of those that I started just cause. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, was, I think like well picked, man. Hard. That was a perfect, that was, uh, that was, you couldn't have well, planned that any better. Were you, is that, is that email marketing uh, technology or is it like as a service? Totally service, pure 100% service. Okay. I, what I was thinking in my brain to be fair is like a, like just build another cold email, build another, uh, you email know, sending tool. Email sending yeah, tool. yeah, yeah. You know, like where there's just no advantage. It's the same functionality as anyone else. And you're just going to try to market like that sounds painful to me. Whereas, especially in the sweaty side, there's some more like relational network effects that you could maybe take advantage of if they exist, um, where maybe a partner or there's something like that has built-in distribution to kind of help you scale. So yeah, I've, I've I pursued that stuff. This wasn't what I planned on on asking about or chatting about, but if I were to push <laughs> back on that, I would I would say that software is increasingly becoming commodified. Uh, so I'm a software developer. You show me a thing. I'll be like, oh, three weeks or like, oh, that one's hard. Oh, like six weeks. Right. Like yeah. that's it. That's software today. I, for the most part, um, even the really deep hardcore machine learning stuff. My thesis is that that only ends up being like 20% of the total like code, let's say like 20% of the lines yeah. of code, the other 80% straight up like six inch pipe. I need a fucking six inch pipe over here. I need duct tape over there. Right. And like, I'm going to get the lowest wage labor that I possibly can to go do it. I do not need US-based people. Um, I, I want a US-based front door. I know that that sounds like, I don't know, probably doesn't sound great, but it like just the reality, it, it feels like that makes a difference. But um, yeah, behind the scenes, I think most software is just an utter commodity and distribution is the, is or, or marketing or a brand is, is the way that you can kind of win on that. That's fair. Oh, that was it. <laughs> I mean, yeah, like I, I think that that is a fair take, and and I think we both agree on the the distribution piece. I think there are very like certain types of uh, technology that, yeah, super like over commoditized, overdone, overbuilt, and no one needs another one. We don't need another email sending tool. We don't need another email warming service. Stop. Build yeah. something else. Like I'm more interested in more vertical or industry specific technology at this point. Like that gets me more interested. Yeah. Um, I have a, a small software business that's focused on um, continuing education for a lot of those sweaty businesses. And it's basically like for the HR office managers that oversee hundreds of employees to manage those continuing education things. Like I like that because it's a little more focused um, these generic SaaS tools with kind of generic functionality that already exist you know just like a plethora of them that are it's hard to distinguish even that's what I was saying is like yeah you, you have to have some like really notable distribution to try to make some noise in those types of tools because it, it just eyes glaze over it's like oh it's just another uh, email sending thing whatever so it's hard to get people's attention do you, are you saying that in terms of your personal interest level in the business or in terms of market opportunity? And the reason I, I'm trying to make that distinction is because there's a piece of advice going around, like let's say the indie hacker circle that I think is wise is that don't go try and create a market 
um, go draft off of one that already exists. And so by definition, there will be competition. By definition, there will be other products that do more or less what your thing does and maybe a slightly different way, right? But you have a different perspective on the problem or whatever, and that's your differentiator and you just go out and, and market, but you do not go create a market. That's what, in my opinion, venture is for, creating markets. Um, but for like a first time founder or something like that, definitely go create the 11th whatever tool and go try, you know, not necessarily the 11th whatever tool. I, that's what I was going to delineate, right? There's a difference between when there's like two or three really great, and this is somewhat my experience in my last, hopefully last ever, uh, you know, W2 of job was <laughs> we were, we were like the third or fourth player in a market, but we had the most beautiful UI and we had the most affordable product yeah. and it was really good. And there was enough room in the market like the, the, the TAM was big enough where like a fourth player could really come in and make some noise. And it was acquired in like, you know, a, a good, an eight figure acquisition. And so it was like, cool. Um, but yeah, at 11 or 21 or 31, I'm like, uh, I don't know if that holds up as like eventually there's some sort of like failure point where that, that isn't good advice anymore. Yeah. And I was just, I picked email tech because <laughs> I feel like it's, brutally saturated yeah. um like if my buddy were to tell me that he was going to start like a competitor to like one list i'd be like just go like bury yourself stop <laughs> like um i'm not a fan you know i'm not gonna support that or you know but uh yeah i think we're saying some of the similar things i maybe i'm just being picky and, and getting a little more granular and saying yes but you know but yeah i i in general agree and, and yeah don't make a market um most of the time that's very accurate and if you are a lot of times you need some pretty significant funding yeah so several are you doing is that basically a one-man shop that you're kind of putting a brand around um and then you're just kind of putting all of whatever you do under that same brand yeah so several is um like a holding company of my interests in various companies and then i have started to um staff inside of several as well but and I'm the only partner, if you will, there's not another partner inside of several. Um, but I have, um, I, I'd have to count maybe nine or 10 business partners across the different businesses. Um, so that's, that's kind of how it, how it runs. And what was your decision for going at it alone? Because I, so I started XO and it was just me and I very early, like I have a rule for myself on projects that I was trying to take from zero to one. Like I have to have a business partner. I'm not allowed to yeah. do anything by myself anymore. Um, totally. Cause I'll just get fucking bored mm -hmm. in three weeks after I build the thing and be like, all right, what's the next shiny object or, or whatever. Um, so totally. I immediately, I immediately brought in partners to XO. Like there there's four of us now in total. Um, yeah. it's a relatively large number, but frankly, man, like we bought three companies, we bought them in all a relatively short period of time. And I don't know, I don't think I could have done it just by myself. I, I most certainly didn't, wouldn't have wanted to. Um, yeah. But what was your decision for, for going about it alone? Yeah, so I would, I would say I don't feel like I'm going at it. I mean, in ways I am, in ways I'm not. So I really had built three businesses and then, well, three or four and kind of sat back and said, hey, I think I should stop talking about Stephen Ullman and put a name around that. Um, and to, to give uh, just a little more clarity and kind of like put it in its place, I suppose. And I just didn't like, 
I literally like used to look stephenolman.com. It's like, I just, there wasn't, it didn't feel right anymore. And so um, I feel very much like I'm, I'm doing all of it with a bunch of incredible people because I have business partners inside of every Opco. Um, it's just the, the hold code. Yes, you're right. I am, you know, alone in that. Um, and that's just kind of the, the, the nature of how it transpired. I suppose it wasn't hyper intentional. I just continued to want to build businesses with other people and my wrapper for my own interests in those businesses is several. And some of it's just marketing and positioning. It allows people like the 50 by 2050, it could be 27, it could be 77. Um, it's just a North star and it shows people my appetite that I'm always interested in the next deal, meeting the next person. And um, so it's just kind of like a platform or a place to kind of speak to. And what has been your uh, experience like switching from like, I don't know, we're calling them sweaty businesses, but like, let's call them offline businesses, a little more palatable name. Great. Um, yeah. Between like offline businesses, software businesses, the operations for me. So I, the, the, where this question is coming from is we're just focused on pure SaaS at the moment. Yeah. Um, we have four partners. So like, that's super helpful, um, mm -hmm. but we're going to have to staff somewhere. And two of them that we still have, we sold one off don't have enough revenue coming in to support full-time staff at the individual company level, like take a support person. Um, we're doing support. We're going to wait till we get one more under the umbrella before getting a support person. They're probably going to sit at the GP level because they can't, I can't bill out hundred percent of their time to each individual company. There's just not that much support to go around. Um, mm -hmm. But how have like you guys thought about, or not you guys, just you thought about operations at several um, like where, who to put what, where, where to put what, uh, like under each individual company or under just like you as several. Yeah, I think I've, I've done that a little differently. Um, so some of the operations work is done by partners themselves, right? Because a lot of those partners are more inherently operational than they are strategic. Um, and so that's like an expectation. Um, and so there's, there's that component. And then as a business grows, um, you know, kind of have agreed that we will, um, reinvest in the business to bring on scale up to part-time people, full-time people as the business grows inside of the individual company. I then have also done stuff at the several level, like from a content side where there was enough work to be done that I did hire like someone full-time. Um, you talk about overseas, like I, I use people both overseas and stateside um, for several for different things. And so um, it's really, it's kind of a function of quantity of like work, like you kind of brought up and then also available dollars. But some of the things I'm doing across the whole portfolio, if you will, and then some things we're doing inside of each individual company. And I'll just, instead of, and that's actually interesting to me, I'm curious what, how you think about the part-time, full-time. Um, maybe it's like a quality of work thing, but I'm really comfortable with having a season where there's just like part-time work of a single person inside of a company and to hopefully scale that up, whether we scale it up with them or someone else, um, whenever there is, you know, enough revenue to support that. So that's kind of how I've approached it. It's been more about what the task or um, work is. So like if you, you're talking all SaaS, right? So if you're talking about like client support, that's actually a really interesting challenge. Um, but I think where I probably would have gone with that if it was me, which I'm not, you know, I obviously don't run your deal. I think what I would have done is probably like part-time 
uh, VAs that I trained pretty intentionally um, that I just scale up uh, as as needed um, within each company so that they're, I don't know if I would mix for that specific function across, unless, unless this, like the technologies are pretty similar. Uh, but if they're different enough, then I probably would have totally separate people and just hopefully scale them up in, in usage. Yeah. I think the, the, it sounds like some of your deals you're going in as like a minority investor and like, sometimes you're the minority, sometimes you're the major majority, but almost always like you, you're leaving the people in place. And the deals that we're doing, we're looking at our first one now that's at a little bit higher level that will come with the original founder. So like we're gonna, I don't know, buy whether it's the whole thing or most of it or whatever, we'll probably buy a majority and then yeah. we'll have kind of like an earn back but he'll be, he'll be still operating the company. We have others where we just buy it from like two dudes and then like, you know, on Friday we buy it and on Monday we fucking own it and like support yeah. starts coming in, right? And so. I think that's that's part of the difference is like it looks it sounds like you're coming into a business that exists uh for well, the most part or not necessarily no yeah and so that's actually one thing that i apologize if i didn't clarify i've built everything from scratch um everything so, from scratch. yeah everything's been from zero Damn. and um and but it's actually really relevant uh because I'm, I've turned my eyes to, to buying. I'm really interested in that. Um, and I've made a couple offers that, that I haven't gotten and that's, that's fine. I felt like they were from, overvalued and from micro acquire. Uh, no, I haven't actually offered a love Andrew, uh, but haven't, um, haven't offered on micro. They've been off market two off market deals. Um, yeah. one was actually, uh, sweaty or, uh, offline and one was, um, a, a digital business. So, um, yeah, so I'm, I'm really interested in that as well. I'll probably have plenty to learn from you because um, you're steps ahead of me on that front. So when you go into a business that's, um, well, you're thinking about starting one. I mean, you're acting as venture. It's just straight venture, right? Do you bring in other investors under like the LLC of the deal or whatever? Or how, how are you structuring these things? Yep. So I'm always putting capital in uh, and pretty much every time the other partners in the deal, like let's say it's like the core operator is putting some level of skin in the game because I think that's just a healthy thing to do. But a lot of times it's um, it's not equivalent. And then um, there's a couple of deals where I've had kind of a strategic, I'm, I actually kind of referred to that earlier, like a strategic silent partner. So like in the security business, there is a strategic partner. I'm glad they're involved and on the cap table and I have a lot of relevant expertise and network. Um, and so they invested at that like LLC level, um, basically. And so I've done that. I don't love that. I really don't want to do that a lot, but I, w I, I did when it made sense. Um, so that's, what, that's how what, I've done it. What don't you like about it? Um, if I, as a preference, if I can keep from it, I enjoy when people that are, somewhat hands-on in the business who like have also invested in the business with their own capital. I just found that's like the most aligned. Um, and it's, it's just kind of a different environment when you have someone that owns a pretty significant chunk of a business, I think, you know, is like statistically significant. Um, and you just, you literally never interact with them other than maybe introductions or some sort of like distribution of money that you might get from them. Um, yeah, it's just not, I don't enjoy it as much. Um, I oh. like when everyone that is proactively invested is also proactively engaged and involved. And, uh, I just like it more as a preference. 
So un unless I misunderstood and, and don't let me put words in your mouth, that's basically like venture capital is what you're describing, where you have all these silent majority shareholders that, uh, I mean, they're not, they're, they're objectively, they're not active in the business. 99% yeah. are not active in any given quarter for the business. Yeah. And I don't know, maybe I said somewhere in between. I started out very operational. As I've grown and gotten more and more deals, I'm trying to be less operational, but still involved because I'm, I'm really like the thing that I love the most is like convincing someone from corporate America to quit their job and start a company with me because they have some unique, no, really, it's like my addiction, it's like yeah. just put it in my veins. And so I, I love it. And, um, and so maybe I'm kind of in between because my year 10 goal, I'm in year four, my year 10 goal is to have a monthly meeting with each business. Um, I do more than that. I'm more involved in pretty much every one of the businesses than that today. Yeah. And um, that's my goal, um, but I, um, I'm i a natural coach and I, just, I love convincing people to believe in themselves and to start a business and uh, like go into the great beyond sort of thing. Yeah. And uh, so that's kind of my mechanism for doing that. Um, but yeah, I'm not like anti-VC, hate VC sort of thing. No, no, no. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't suggesting that. The reason I brought it up is because you guys at a certain point, let's take offline businesses off the table for a second. In any given portfolio of, of digital businesses, you're going to have what I think is going to be winners and losers. And I kind of am battling right now with like, are, are we kind of in our models, which are similar, are we subject to power laws? And I, I think it's kind of inevitable that we're going to have a certain amount of winners and losers, even for us, where we buy stuff with two, three, five, ten thousand 10,000 in MRR. Some are just naturally going to fucking grow no matter what we do. And some are just naturally not going to fucking grow no matter what we do. Right. Like, it's just going to happen. And the interesting part about us is like, if we buy a business for, let's say half a million and we grow it to a million a year, now we're in kind of venture land, right? Um, could I theoretically go out and build a team and go raise venture around that individual company and just go fucking see it to the moon or not? Like yep. we, that, uh, but putting a ceiling on it and saying, no, I don't ever want to do that feels somewhat limiting. So I'm like, I'm just kind of yeah. piecing together like what, because that's a really interesting opportunity for a particular company. We buy COVID hits, it's in remote working and like, holy fuck, we've got like, you know, we got a yeah. fucking whale on the line, right? Like we got to go see this thing through for all it's worth. Obviously, yeah. it's not going to be us that can be full time on that. We got to go build a team, like a full, full team around this and go try and raise venture and scale up. Yeah, they, I like the optionality. I, especially for what you're doing. I, I think it's really wise to like preserve that optionality and, or like maybe reserve the right to go down that path. Um, I, I probably won't lean that direction because I'm so against like having a dad, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, that the, and there's not necessarily a need to, blow something out of the water i mean maybe and i don't know you never know like time will tell but i joke that several ventures should be called several small ventures because i'm really comfortable with smaller high margin cash flowing businesses that aren't going anywhere and i'm just pretty comfortable and i just want to build more of those it's more about like a quantity of healthy profitable businesses with partners that i love working with and that's just that's kind of like my what I lean towards, but I'm also an opportunist. So like you're saying, 
I would probably be willing to do that if, if the right company presented itself and it, and it was like, man, we're just going to waste such a huge opportunity if we don't do this. Yeah. It, it would be unfair to like the business to not try. Yes, exactly. I, I, yeah, I would, I would go for it. Hmm. And in terms of deal size, what are you, what's small to you? In terms of something that I've built or that I would buy? I don't know. You just said several yeah. small ventures. What's, what's yeah. small? So I'm, I'm like really uh, great at the business is doing 500 to 1.5 gross. That's a high margin business. And I own a notable percentage of that. Great. High five, chest bump, all of it. Like love it. Um, so if I just stack those, what, what's there to complain about at like a personal level? I have no complaints. I'm happy. My partners are happy. Great. Um, buying, I'm probably in, uh, in a similar space to you. I would probably look um, for an act, like an acquisition price of 500 K to 1.5, something like that. Yeah. Um, that would be, that, that would make sense. Um, so, you know, there's just, there's a rule like acquiring stuff. It's, it's amazing to see the stuff that gets bought. I love it. Like a micro acquired inspires me people that will buy something doing like $104 of MRR for like 20 K just, it's great. Like, go for it. Go get the multiple, sell it. It feels good. And like, you bought something that already exists for the buyer. It's cool. Like, I, I think it's really neat. I, I probably struggle to buy something um, that is a certain tiny micro size uh, because I have technical resources where I look at that and I, just like you were saying, yeah, I could build that in three weeks. Like saying, I'm not, but partners or other resources I have ready to boom, let's just go build it, you know? So I struggle with that some, but yeah, I think at least North of, um, North of 200 K or so would be like about the smallest I would buy. Just, I'm sure it makes sense. Yeah. The buy versus build thing is tough at the very small level. Like let's say sub a hundred grand total purchase price, because yes, you could build the product, but, um, and this happened to me with, uh, the, the, email services business. <laughs> I just happened to hit like a message to the right market at the right time. And yeah. that worked. And so, and this has already happened. Somebody's cloned literally our whole business, like found our, the template we used, co- literally copied the whole fucking thing, just carte blanche. Um, but I don't think it's going to work for them, right? Like it's not going to work for them in the same way that it worked for us uh, or for me, just me at the beginning. And same with when you go to build like a copycat of an existing business, you still like, fuck dude, we bought one of these little things. It was only doing like 800 bucks a month, but it had 10,000 people on an email list. So like- so that's- that's different though, right? There's another asset behind that that's yes. really, really relevant and valuable. So I would, that would skew how I might view that. Right. Okay. Purchase. All right. So yeah, that's fair. But yeah, we, we but at the beginning, you, we're thinking maybe we would, we would go try and build some of these things and we may even still buy something with zero revenue as a product, just if it's like, gives it, gives us a huge head start. But for the most cool. part, it's like, it's just the cash flow. The rest of it is, is a bit of a commodity. Yeah. That's fair. I, I was thinking of $800 MRR, you've got 15 customers. I'm only behind by 15, like, right, and, right, and, right. and it's, and I get to see that the market validated it. I can see that the market validated it. Right. And, unless they convince like 15 of their buddies to buy it for like, you know, six months, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right, right. whatever, uh, which there is, I will say that I think there's a little bit of fraud 
going on uh, in some of those really tiny things with like very small MRR. I think you have to be really careful to validate where that MRR is coming from and who that is, like the underlying customer base is very interesting to me because I've got 15 friends that I could convince to pay me $50 a month for something for three months and then tell them I'll give them a kicker on the back end and it's all <laughs> winking where I was like, hey, like, yeah, I made 15 grand and it was all said and done. Yeah, like, that's yeah. cool. I'm going on a super nice vacation. Let's do it. So, yeah. uh, you know, I, you have to be careful about that stuff. But in general, if there is something else valuable, maybe the technology actually is pretty tough to build or and it would just take too long. You just want it now or 10,000 per person email list. That would skew the valuation for me significantly. Right. Yeah. What's So I come at this from a, a developer's angle, right? Like that's my background. Um, yeah. And you're coming at this from like more of an operational side. And so like yeah. you're, it's, it's interesting to hear you value that more than the code in, in, in some ways. Right. Um, yeah. It's just, it's just cool. Cause I always come at it from probably like too technical of an angle. Right. And of course, every developer always says like, Oh, that sucks. I could build that better. Right. Like that's every right. answer. It was probably the same for a marketer too, right? Every marketer looks at it as like, oh, oh I can totally. play fucking better than that. <laughs> well, that's what I'm saying. You're like, okay, $800 MRR, 15 customers. Like, I mean, I can go get 15 customers. Like if you right. got 15, I can get 15, you know? Right. So I can get 35, you know? And so right. the, but the, um, a really funny example, I think you just tweeted this earlier was the sheet best or best sheet. Yeah. Um, and I'm like, I love that. And I, I just want to pay someone to go build that for me. And I'm going to go market it myself. Like right. I, like I literally had that thought before we got on, on this call, because I was like, man, that's, that's great. And I don't think it's going to be that hard to compete. With. Uh, um, so it's the, on the technical side, not that hard. Um, but that was the exact what I'm talking about. We bought it at 800 MRR. It had like 10,000 people on an email list. We've tripled it. And like, wait, you bought, you bought, uh, is it sheet best or best sheet? Sheet best. Sheet best. I really wanted to be best sheet. Best sheet. It sounds, it sounds like best shit. <laughs> it was from these, uh, it was from these Brazilian dudes. So like that sounded, I think that was like the only available domain, but whatever. Yeah, we, haven't, awesome. we haven't, we yeah. haven't changed it yet. So, so that's really, no, but that's actually super helpful in this conversation because I didn't realize that was a business. I don't know why, for some reason, I thought you were just like mentioning it. I didn't realize you bought it hmm. and I really like it. I think it's really, really smart. To me, it's almost like someone saw Glide apps and it's like, well, I'm just going to build the underlying infrastructure of Glide yes. and yes. put it out, Yeah. right? Which is really smart. And actually that whole, I mean, I've seen that happen before in a lot of other spaces where someone built something and they just basically marketed the underlying technologies in API effectively. And so, you know, I... I, I love that you now own that. Um, it is funny though, because I just was thinking of that as an example. So you literally thought through, okay, we could build that, but, but they have this list. And so did you value, so I was looking at this deal the other day that was on um, an offline business, but it included some real estate. And they were saying, hey, you should view this as two separate transactions. So on the digital side, I almost want to think, hey, I'm going to value this on MRR here. Now I'm going to take the 10,000 person email list and I want to try to validate like how valuable that list is, how engaged, I don't know if you did this, like how engaged are they? Where did that come from? How old yeah. is it? You know, like, and then you value that, slam it together. Now here's my valuation. Yeah. Is that how you thought about it? 
We did from the bio, uh, from our perspective, but most of that is not communicated to the um, the business owner, right? We're just yeah. trying to value it on SDE or whatever, which is like really favorable for us. And we gave them a yes. fair multiple, but um, yeah, we saw that. So it was like 100% organic growth, like very little Google ad spend, uh, mm -hmm. big fat list, like really under monetized product. Like the pricing was all fucked up. It's still kind of fucked up, but at least it's higher now, um, or at least more to market. And like, great that that equals 3x uh we're gonna go maybe get like some revenue like an expansion on the multiple that we sell it for like we bought it at three yeah. maybe we'll sell it at four plus like the 3x in growth um i am a little concerned about like who is above us on some of these smaller size transactions um mm -hmm. it might be no one for a yeah. while right you might be it might be like us nobody private equity, right? Like that might be it for a while until I, either yeah. we grow up stack and then we like XO or several becomes the guys that buys it once it hits like a million a year. Um, yeah. Then it's like, great, million a year. Like, what is it? Awesome. Tastes like chicken. We'll fucking buy it, right? Like mm -hmm. um, as long as it meets these these criteria. But I do worry, yeah, like who, who the hell is going to buy these things from us? It might be the case that we just have to, you know, cash flow our way into uh, profit, which is fine, which is fine. Sure. That's, that's all good. That's really cool. That was a really good working example of kind of exactly what you're talking about. And, you know, I, I think a lot about that sort of thing when I'm building businesses too. So like you, we thought about that and buying and just kind of like um, segmenting out the valuation. I think about that too, when I'm building stuff is, is there more than just the core business that's valuable and what else could we work on or maybe capture as we're building that would have the secondary value. Yeah. So I, I try to apply that. Yeah. Too. And I, I know we're kind of at time here, but I would love to just get your kind of quick thoughts on leverage, um, how you've used leverage in deals or how you're thinking about it. Uh, <laughs> this is really funny. I don't know if I have a short answer. Um, you can ruin your life or make your life you know, <laughs> using leverage. That's it. That, that, that's that's and, the and, Well, and I would say this too. What's cool is, is that you have three other partners. And so you should have a sounding board and consensus or at least rough consensus to where, and that's really mature and, and like a healthy thing to have. Whereas myself in several being a, kind of solo to a degree, unless we're talking about a specific opco, I have to really go pursue and ask other people outside for that perspective, whereas you have a built in. And so you should be able to avoid big mistakes uh, when it comes to leverage, because you've got four brains, four different experiences and perspectives yeah. to help you avoid those. And so I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, uh, I just spoke with Pipe this morning. They did a, a partnership with MicroAcquire and I just got on the phone to just, you know, all right, what's, you know, is, are we talking like credit card rates or fucking SBA rates, right? Like what's the deal here? And it looks, it looks really interesting. I was really surprised. I have no affiliation. Is there, with a, guys. I don't is know there a, thing. is there a number that you can share? Uh, yeah, they might get pissed, but I don't give a shit. They said anywhere between three and 9%. So it sounded like they start you off with, um, I, I was like, oh, so like three is a hell yes and nine is a fuck no. So you start us off between like hell yes and fuck no. Uh, not helpful, guys. But yeah. I, they start you off with kind of a shit rate. And then over time, as you build up, um, yeah, they'll, they'll get you down. But they were like 
they were really thoughtful about the way they put it together. The guys seemed super sharp and like, I'm going to go, I'm definitely going to go explore it for working capital. And, yeah. you know, over time, yeah. I don't know what happens, but the SBA I is mean, like a bitch yeah. to get software stuff through. Right. And like, that's all we do. It is. Yeah. And, and I was going to guess seven or 8%. That was just my gut is kind of where they were going to land. So, I mean, if you can get underneath that, if you're living in, you know, four or 5%, it's gravy. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. So, I mean, nine is, you know, that starts to, at least they're in single digits, but I feel like, yeah, you could. And also my curiosity is, do they view that? And you probably don't have the answer, but well, maybe because you are doing multiple, do they view that by individual company or would they, as they build a relationship with you, see you have a track record as you have maybe two or three different businesses where you, that you work with them. That would be interesting to me if they'll treat you almost like a banquet, essentially, yes. they get to know you and more of like a localized relationship. For acquisition capital, uh, you will present an LOI to the buyer, uh, to, the, to the seller. Um, then they will go sign up for Pipe and get a number. Uh, Pipe will like say yes, no. If it's a yes, here's, here's the number, here's the amount. Um, but for us, we're setting up an account at the GP level. And so we're going to have everything feeding to like one master account, um, and be able to borrow from that master account and divvy it up. However we see fit. That also means you don't have to ask the seller to go do that. Right. Uh, we will for the acquisition capital, but for oh, work you, capital, you, oh, I see. Right. But yeah. the, the trick is, is that once we get to a certain point, if I go borrow a million bucks from pipe. They don't care what I use it for, right? I can go do an acquisition with it without having the um, the seller involved. Uh, I can just go get the capital myself, and the, the seller wouldn't even know. It's just an all cash deal. That's when things get real fun. Yeah, or real dangerous, like you said. <laughs> right. Watch out. <laughs> yeah, but at, at least they're not personally guaranteed. But uh, thanks so much, Stephen. Dude, this was this was great. Yeah. It's good, good to uh, talk to you. And I love, I love that you push back on some stuff I said. I, I sent out a uh, new little piece of media to some friends to give me feedback. 16 people were super positive. One person trashed all over it, <laughs> ripped it apart, up and down. And I was like, thank you so much. I've been waiting for someone to say that it's not that great. And yeah. so I appreciated the pushback and the candor. It's good. It's sharpening. And so I enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, dude. All right. Well, let's keep in touch. I'll see you back on Twitter. All right, see ya. See ya.